Okay, so I must admit, I've never really been good at doing introductions. I mean, the truth is, my mind usually goes blank whenever I try to find the right words to say. It's like explaining all of who I am seems far too vast to fit into a 60-second elevator pitch, and yet far too elusive to go into great detail at the same time. I guess you could say that's why I decided to create this podcast, as a way to give myself both the space and grace to dive deep into parts of myself that I buried a long time ago. You see, over the years, I've allowed the weight of my feelings to anchor around every word that I struggled to find, pulling on every vowel and grasping at each noun and every other verb until those words finally sank into nothingness. Total silence. An inescapable void that kept me locked in limbo. At least until now, that is. You know, pain has a funny way of doing that. It can keep us cemented in place, absolutely incapable of moving forward or running wild as fast as you can to get away from it. I mean, if you're lucky enough, you can hide from the pain for a while by focusing on anything and everything but yourself. And eventually, those painful memories will fade and deteriorate into fuzzy moments you just can't quite recall. But sooner or later, it will catch up to you. And it's usually when you least expect it, as cliche as that may sound. In my case, and probably the case for most black and brown women, avoiding the pain and trauma is almost like a rite of passage. Don't tell anyone are three words that I heard often, practically my entire life, by people that look like me and almost always implied by those who don't. For many years, I did what I was told and I kept it all to myself. And what I learned from doing that is that the layering of unspoken pain and trauma tends to sprawl out like a never-ending spider web. And it only takes a few missteps before you fall in and get caught up in it. Unfortunately, I trapped myself in that web long before I even knew what was happening. And I mean, I tried every way imaginable to fight my way out of it. Sex, drugs, and alcohol were my go-to temporary fixes to this existential problem of mine. And yet the little solace that they provided me over the years only seemed to deepen that sense of emptiness within me. So I eventually got tired of fighting and avoiding the inevitable. I had to open my eyes and face all of the broken pieces of me that I avoided most of my life for my sanity's sake. So here I am. This is me, sincerely. Ready and open to say my piece, as difficult as this process will be for me. I mean, to be completely honest, what I have to say at best may make you somewhat uncomfortable, or at worst, really upset you. Because the truth is, society has always shunned us Black women for speaking out about our pain, or criticized us for viscerally reacting to the injustices we face within the Black community as well as out. We are often labeled as angry, overly sensitive, and masculine. Then hear me out. I have to say there may be a tiny morsel of truth to that. Because imagine going through life constantly tone-policed, pushed aside, 
attacked, gaslighted, and ignored. It's enough to make anyone go mad. It's enough to make anyone overly sensitive and reactive. We have been rubbed so raw to the point that the smallest injustice we experience can send us over the edge. And these are the ties that bind. Oh, what a tangled web we weave while we just try to live and find some peace. Yeah, I'm sorry, but I would rather unbind myself from this web and help others do the same as opposed to silencing myself in order to continue keeping the peace. I understand that that may be a bit much for some people. And if you no longer want to listen, I totally understand. But just know this, that regardless, I still plan to talk my shit. So I hope you stick around as I do. So with all that being said, I guess it's only right that we start from the beginning. I was brought into this world by two very problematic Jamaican immigrants on November 19, 1984, just outside the city of Miami. Looking back, I can only imagine the tired smiles on my parents' faces as they looked down at their baby girl for the very first time. I was the firstborn of three girls, and apparently the first and only person in the U.S. to have the name Shaman. S-C-H-A-U-M-I-N. Shaman is such a strange name for a little girl, at least in my opinion. It doesn't really roll off the tongue smoothly. And most people always found it to be too foreign sounding or whatever that means. Early on as a kid, I would absolutely dread the first day of school because without fail, almost every single time, my teachers would butcher the hell out of my name during roll call. And every single time, as if on cue, the entire class would turn and laugh in my face as I sank further into my seat, wishing that it would open up and swallow me whole in that moment. So yeah, I eventually learned that lying about my name was probably the best way to avoid further embarrassment. And so I went by the name Charmaine for a number of years because it was safe and sounded familiar. Eventually though, Around my early 20s, I decided to finally embrace this strange name of mine. I would often get asked about the origin of my name whenever I introduced myself to new people, and I would usually recall the story behind it in detail. It was when I was about 11 or 12 when I sat down at my dad's feet as he typed away on his computer, paying me no mind as usual. When I looked up and I asked him, why did he name me Shaman? I will never forget it. I said, Dad, out of all names you could have given me, why did you choose that name? I will never forget his response that day. He looked down and said, Oh, during one of my trips to Germany, I saw this beautiful little girl, and I asked her what her name was, and she said, Shaman. I remember the distant smile on his face as he recalled that random encounter and the underwhelming feeling that followed. I don't know if I expected a more profound answer or what, but I eventually had to come to terms with the fact that the meaning or reason behind my name was as shallow as the people who gave me the name in the first place. And yet still, 
I always had this pressing urge to know, what's in a name? I mean, I completely understand the necessity of having a name, but is there more to it? Sometimes I wonder, are the names we are given intrinsically tied to who we are, or should they be? Our identity and purpose in life? Are there deeper meanings behind a name? And if not, should there be? Eventually, curiosity got the best of me. So I hopped on Beyonce's internet to find out for myself once and for all. And after a few hours of researching, I learned that the history of names is actually so ancient that no one truly knows the true beginning of the story of names. Ever since written history began, and as far back as oral history reaches, people have always had names. There are historical studies that suggest that the earliest names likely had an original meaning or association to the individual. In fact, it was generally believed that the act of naming a newborn infant is an important rite of passage into society. An author by the name of Nuessel perfectly described this concept when he said the following, Officially naming a child is a process of individualization in which a person becomes a separate entity who will ultimately develop into a unique personality. As well-meaning as that sounds, I was curious to see how or if this concept was actually the case throughout history for parents naming their kids. So I kept looking for answers, and here's what I learned. Sometime around the Middle Ages, naming practices became the norm for most European cultures and were often categorized by surnames, which helped to identify the father. There were also location-based names like Stephen York, because he is Stephen of York. And also occupation-based names like Anita Baker. Maybe she was alive back then, or maybe her family were bakers and they just, you know, I don't know, just roll with it. <laughs> Oddly enough, the concept of even having a last name is a Western convention. In fact, according to Britannica, the UK and the United States are practically the only countries in the world to adhere to the principles of Roman law that states a person has a right to use and change their name as they please, except for fraudulent purposes. One of the few regulations of the Roman law is that a Roman Catholic priest administering a baptism should make certain that the children are given the names of Catholic saints. Now, if the parents insisted on another name, the priest should administer the baptism in that name, but add the name of a saint as a second baptismal name. Prior to that, people have used the Protestant custom of giving names of important people in the Bible, such as Abraham, Samuel, and Rachel. Towards the end of the 12th century, the Roman Catholic Church protested against the use of these old pre-Christian names. Interestingly enough, those objections could not sway the popularity of standard English names among the upper class. I guess much like today, the upper class gets their way no matter what, but that's another conversation for another day. So back to the story. Even still, the Catholics' insistence upon the use of biblical and saintly names were considered nothing less than revolutionary at that time. So shortly after that time period, we begin to see the rise in popularity of these saintly biblical names in English, such as John, James, Michael, Mary, Anne, 
Elizabeth, Agnes, to name a few. Eventually, majority of the given names were controlled partly by conservative forces, which consisted of established religion and family pride, and partly by forces working for change. By the 20th century, the European pattern of giving names had been introduced practically everywhere around the world. I must admit, learning all of this kind of led me down a never-ending spiral of questions tied to my identity. Like, why did people allow a religious governing body to dictate what they should name their kids? And why were the so-called upper class allowed to opt out of this so-called sacred naming practice? It also made me pause to re-examine my own feelings about my own name. While on one hand, it does not really fall into the conservative realm of names, it is still unfortunately heavily influenced by the concept of whiteness, white European culture as we know it. So in conclusion, it turns out that the origin of my name doesn't reveal the untold story of my true history, like my African lineage, for example nor is it tied to any sacred saint. It's just a name of random circumstance. A name that's just different for the sake of being different. It had nothing to do with me being a separate entity with a unique personality. I guess the same could be said about a lot of people, basic names or not, based on what my research showed me. It's just, I don't know. Sometimes it feels like we are simply brought into this messy world, both bright-eyed and unsuspecting of a life that two individuals and a powerful religious institution decided for us. And yet somehow, we are still supposed to figure out their plan from that point on as well. So, with all that being said, the next time someone asks the question, what's in a name? I would say absolutely everything and nothing at all. Sincerely, Shaman.